The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And thank you so much for being part of the show. And uh, may I take the opportunity to also thank you for uh, everything you do to help promote the show. I really appreciate that very much indeed. And um, and every time every time you tell somebody about the show, every time you forward a link on SoundCloud or on iTunes, uh, or for that matter, uh, when you perhaps forward a uh, a notification uh, that comes out of uh, my office once a week about the podcast, uh, you're helping the podcast grow, and uh, you're helping making it a more exciting venture for me. And that translates into a more exciting show for you, I hope. Uh, I want to take you back a few years, if I may, uh, to when I was still living in South Africa. I I had yet to immigrate to the United States. Well, immigrate's a flexible term. When I first came to the United States, um, it was as a tourist. And yes, I overstayed my visa Yes, I did become an illegal immigrant, uh, but the way I see it is, look, I mean, after all, uh, somebody has to be willing to come along and do the work that Americans were not willing to do. Uh, In my case, that meant being an Orthodox Jewish rabbi that loved Christians. (laughs) Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on. So uh, I uh, stayed. I stayed. And... At another time, I might tell you some of the things that happened during my first uh, 72 hours in the United States that occasioned me to to change my mind and uh, to um, make a phone call back to my parents. Uh, My parents were still in South Africa as well. They Later on, after I did become a, a United States citizen, my parents followed me here. But uh, at, the, at the time, making a, a call to the United States was not quite as simple as just picking up your cell phone. You needed to, make, uh, to book it with the overseas operator, and then a few minutes later, the overseas operator calls you back. They've made the connection. And uh, I remember telling my parents that um, I wasn't coming back, and my father said, for how long? And I said, well, kind of never. I'm staying in the United States. 
and he said, well, I look forward to a letter explaining yourself. And, uh, and yes, I did. I explained what had happened during the previous 72 hours to make it uh, inevitable for me that I was going to remain in the United States of America. And no, uh, I did not meet a girl. No, it was, it was not Mrs. Lappin or the Susan who was destined to be cut. No, uh, not at all. And as a matter of fact, uh, she was probably still in elementary school or something, and uh, and they probably didn't want to let her out for recess to meet me. But anyways, uh, no, it was uh, it was glimpses into. I was very fortunate. Things happened that gave me a glimpse into the uh, the nature of the United States, it, its history and its reality and its present, and even a glimpse into its future. And so I remained. However, uh, jumping back earlier than that. Uh, there I am. I'm in South Africa. I've been uh, training to take my private pilot's license. Uh, this, this was just something that I, I, I wanted to do. And uh, one of the requirements for the private pilot's license back in South Africa was we were then part of the English Commonwealth, the British Commonwealth, and so we were operating under the English system. I have no idea if what I'm about to tell you is still the case, and uh, I have no idea of whether it was the case in the United States at the time. I think it probably was not. What am I talking about? Uh, one of the requirements of getting a private li a pilot's license was getting a radio telephony license because you have a radio in your airplane with which to communicate uh, with air traffic control, and you needed a radio license to use the radio. And back then in South Africa, in order to get a radio license, you needed to know the Morse code, right? Now, I know th this must sound terribly outdated today. I mean, Morse code, like it's a part of ancient history. But uh, back then, it was a requirement. And so I was already uh, soloed. Uh, I had I'd already flown um, a number of hours uh, entirely by myself with no one else in the airplane. And so I, I, was, I was getting there. Now, by the way, in hindsight, I am shocked at, <laughs> at how little I really knew when they first allowed me to go solo. And, and I'm sure this is a sensation that every student pilot has. You look back afterwards and you say, I can't believe. I mean, it was so dangerous. There was so much I didn't know. Anyway, everyone goes through it. But... Uh, I was still not allowed to get my license because I had not yet passed the radio telephony license. And I hadn't passed the radio telephony license because I hadn't yet passed the Morse code test. And I clearly remember one scorching day uh, sitting in the shade of an airplane hangar with my back against the corrugated iron wall of the hangar. And, uh, and, and the heat against my back was only a reflection of the heat churning through my skull as I tried to remember that, you know, dot dash is A and dash dot dot is B. And by the time I started studying C, I'd forgotten what A was. And, and then I decided to start at the end of the alphabet. And so I did Z and then Y. And then I did X. And X is dash dot dot e uh, dash dot dot dash. And by that time, I'd forgotten what Z was. And I was so frustrated and so overheated and, and so bothered because my highly desired uh, PPL, private pilot's license, hinged on learning this blasted Morse code. 
and uh, I was getting absolutely nowhere. This had been several days I'd been working on this, and I just wasn't getting it. You had to get to the point where you could receive and transmit five words a minute. Now, five words a minute is very, very slow. Um, Top-rate uh, radio telephony operators are, are, were doing, you know, 50 to 100 words a minute in, in Morse code. Uh, in order to get your... Um, amateur radio license, you also needed a Morse code. And uh, I knew many friends who were amateur radio operators who, uh, who could do a very high speed Morse code transmission. All I had to master was a measly five words a minute. I couldn't even remember the entire Morse code. So uh, all of a sudden, I see a shadow over me and uh, or I sense somebody standing beside me, and I, I look up uh, a long pair of jeans-clad legs and, uh, and a, uh, a shirt, and then beneath a hat tilted back was a friendly face of, uh, well, an old-timer, somebody who'd, uh, who you often saw around the airfield, uh, he'd been a pilot for many, many, many years, and he was, you know, he was visual. He was viewed as one of the the really knowledgeable and experienced guys around. And I'd never approached him before, just out of awe. You know, he was uh, he was right up there, highly respected. And I, I'm a a newbie, nobody who can't even pass his private pilot's license. Uh, I certainly didn't feel. But anyway, he looked there and he. He gazed down with a half sardonic grin on his face, and he said, uh, "Struggling with the Morse code, are you?" And uh, you know, I said, "Yes, sir, I uh, I am, and I'm getting absolutely nowhere. I'm I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get this." And he said, "Well, how are you going about it?" And I said, "Well, I'm just trying to learn the Morse code. I you know I remember what A is. I remember what B is. By the time I study C, I can't remember what A is. And if I do, then by the time I get to D, I certainly can no longer remember A." So he said, uh, yeah, he said, uh, that's a really stupid way to do it. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, that's encouraging. Thank you. And, uh, but he continued and he said, uh, why don't you do it the smart way? And I said, uh, sir, I, I, I don't know any other way, but if, if you would be good enough to tell me, I sure would appreciate it. And so uh, he said, all right, he said, uh, how would you like to learn 35% of the alphabet in the next two minutes. And I just, my eyes bugged out of my head and my jaw must have dropped and I probably said something like blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and so obviously uh, I was completely bewildered, but he said, all right, he said, uh, do you think you can memorize the four letters E-I-S-H? Like, does the word ish mean anything to you? And I said, well, funny you should say that, because in the Lord's language, uh, the word ish um, is a man. It's, a, uh, it's an upright man of achievement. In other words, not just a male human being, male adult human being, uh, but it meaning a man in the same sense that uh, the great English poet Rudyard Kipling um, meant when he wrote his wonderful poem, and in the poem, he says, then you will be a man, my son, meaning if you do the things he talks about, you'll be a man. So I said, yeah, I, I can remember Ish. And, he, and I said, I'd remember it because a real man should know the Morse code. And he half smiled and he said, all right, well, that's easy enough then because 
E-I-S-H is 1.2.3.4. So in other words, uh, S is three dots, H is four dots, E is one dot. You, you think you got that? And I said, yeah, I, I got that. And then he said, all right, now, uh, he said, do you have an office? I said, yeah, uh, I have an office. He said, what does your desk look like? I said, you wouldn't want to know. I said, it's a very big mess. He said, do you think it's fair to say that uh, it applies to you, the words, too much office junk? And I said, yeah, for sure. There's definitely too much office junk where I work. He said, well, do you think you can remember T-M-O-J, too much office junk? I said, yeah, I, I can do that. He said, well, that's one dash, two dash, three dash, and then J, it's it's not exactly four dashes because it's a dot and three dashes. But if you can just remember that little cha- – well, I've never forgotten it. And he said, well, you realize we've just finished eight letters of the alphabet that you now know, right? You got them down. Beautiful. And that's 35% of the alphabet. And so if we simply um, do this uh, two more times with uh, with – you know, other patterns, you'll have the whole thing down. It won't take 10 minutes, the whole thing. Well, sure enough, uh, I presented myself for the, the test. I think it was the next day, actually. Passed it, did my five words a minute, no problem. And, uh, you know, and I, I sought him out to thank him again. It was, you know, no problem. He said that's, uh, he said it's just amazed that no, you know, not everybody knows that that is the way in which to learn the Morse code. And, uh, I went off and I never looked back. And uh, by the way, I wonder if you realize that I've just taught you 35% of the Morse code in the last two minutes, right? I'm sure you remember EISH and you probably remember too much office junk. And and so if I said to you the international uh, distress signal, which is SOS, by the way, some people say thinks it stands for save our souls, but I think it was actually simply selected because it was the, the three simplest, easy, most remembered Morse messages. So S, well, E-I-S-H, so it's the third letter, three dots, uh, O, too much, office, three dashes, and then back to an S. So dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, 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 and there is the international distress signal of Morse code. And uh, the distress signal for me is that we're reaching the end of the segment of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show. Uh, the reminder always, and remember, I, uh, I do always uh, admire and I stress the value of advertising. I'm not cynical about advertising at all. And I think most people aren't either. My proof for that is that uh, most people do not try and get junk mail stopped from coming to their house. Most people like to get sales flyers and, and department store flyers. I know I do. I like to know what's available out there. And I see advertising as a, uh, a very noble and worthwhile profession. I have too high an opinion of people to think that advertising can make people do things they don't want to do. That is the cynical left-wing view of advertising that it, it tells, because they have a view of people as needing governmental nannies all the time. And the presumption is that these evil, clever Madison Avenue types will make you do something which, that you don't really want to do. Look, I, I do think we're all susceptible to advertising, and uh, particularly when we see something that, uh, with our eyes that, that is desirable, whether it is a, a woman or whether it is a, a piece of jewelry or whether it's a, a, an electronic gadget or a new car, we are susceptible to it, no question about it. But I do believe that the overwhelming majority of us are mature enough and capable enough uh, to make rational budgeting decisions of how we want to spend our lifeblood, otherwise known as our money. And so uh, 
the uh, ad advertising I consider to be a very noble activity, and particularly if a transaction results that benefits both parties, then that's something God surely smiles at and is good for everybody. So uh, I have no reason not to advertise, and I tend to do it as we come to the end of each segment, and I try and be fairly quick about it. Uh, my website is rabbidaniellappin.com. Obviously, I would like to encourage you to make sure you subscribe right there to receive uh, our weekly emailings, and you can choose whether you want to get only one or two or three uh, they are three emailings. One of them is uh, my thought tools every week. Uh, one of them is Susan's musings, and the other one is the Ask the Rabbi. Uh, you can also read those things on the website, but uh, if you have them mailed to your mailbox, you don't forget, and you got it. So there is that, and then I also recommend that you visit the store at rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, take a look particularly this week at a book called The Alphabet. Um, it's a book that we created for children, but like uh, Disney or Pixar cartoons or animated movies, uh, they realized that the only way to make sure that people would take their children to uh, the, 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 the very, very clever uh, animated movies that those studios create was to ensure that there were humorous, wry inclusions of things that adults would find entertaining as well. And sure enough, um, you know, whether it's uh, cars or monsters or whatever, whichever one you, you last saw, you will remember that you, were, you enjoyed it as much as your children did, maybe even more. We try to make this book alphabet uh, along the same lines, not so much humorous, but uh, containing information of value to adults. If you are in any way intrigued by the Lord's language, by some of the things I speak about in the Hebrew, the structure of Hebrew, then this book, Alphabet, is going to be something not only nice for kids in your orbit or in your family or in your extended circle of friends, but it's something you'll enjoy reading to kids. They'll enjoy that very much. And you also enjoy just taking a look at it. And it's a, a small investment, so rather than taking a lot of more time talking about it, why don't you just take a look at it or read about it at rabbidaniellappin.com at the store. Okay, what we're going to do now is uh, a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I'll tell you a little bit more about the story. And uh, you might also then begin to get a sense of just why it is I am uh, taking up your time with a story of uh, how I learned the Morse code a number of years back. Uh, your rabbi, that's me, reminding you that the way the world really works is that we always have to make sure that as things change around us so dramatically, we remain anchored to those fundamental principles of life that never change. And I don't think that anybody is better than this rabbi to reveal just what those are. We'll be back in just a moment. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. If you're in the market for a new mattress, casper.com slash rabbi should be the next website you visit. Casper created an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's one perfect mattress, and it's sold directly to you, eliminating the need to endure one of those commission salesman mattress stores with inflated prices. 
Casper is shipped for free right to your door, astonishingly delivered in a sleek, how did it fit in there box? You just let it unfold and there you have it, one of the most supportive sleep surfaces ever designed. Hassle-free. Casper is made in America and Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Breathable latex and memory foams are combined for just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights free, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Right now, get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash rabbi. That's casper.com promo code rabbi. Terms and conditions apply. casper.com slash rabbi. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. So, here we are again together on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, and I humbly serve as your rabbi, filled with the passion of connecting with you regularly right here every week, and filled with a passion for revealing how the world really works. Well... I welcome each and every one of you, each and every one of you happy warriors. And you know that I think of you all as happy warriors because I can't help thinking that those people who enjoy this show, <laughs> like me, um, are spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming. Um, I, I suspect that you are devoted to your faith your family, your finances, and your friends. And, uh, and I suspect that deep down you know you can triumph over those who, whether intentionally or unknowingly, help to promote that dark abyss of satanic secular socialism and all the horrible social pathologies that it generates. When I promise to you to reveal how the world really works, it's in the hope that you will help defeat those pathetic creatures of modern secular fundamentalism, those orphans in history who possess neither Christian fortitude nor even pagan ferocity, which I've got to tell you would almost be welcome, those hideous hermaphrodites and fanatical feminists who run our media, our education, our government bureaucracies, who possess neither the strength of men nor the intuitive wisdom of women. But oh, what damage they manage to inflict on us all. Well, never fear, because here on the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show, I solemnly commit to help you transform timidity to triumph together we will replace diffidence with determination and displace the divided counsels of doubt with the steady eyes and firm hearts of those of us who know where we are going and just how we are going to get there. Yes, we strive for success, first with our families, then our finances and our friends, after which... I know we will be ready to take on the formidable task of saving our frighteningly fragile civilization from all those who would force us to surrender our freedoms and our souls 
to the whims and dictates of those who consider themselves to be our superiors, our elites, our betters, our bosses, and our rulers. But before we change the world, we must change ourselves. Before we make the world a better place, we have to make our homes and our businesses better places. And then our efforts and our dreams become leveraged, and together we achieve so much more. The two surest ways of building a bridge over the dark abyss of mortality is by building a family, building your finances, and connecting with others who share your worldview, or even others who share part of your worldview. Connect. That is the theme of today's show. And passion for connection doesn't only drive me, but it drove Samuel Morse just as it should drive us, each and every one of us, because every one of our achievements, our successes and joys in life have depended upon at least one other of God's children, one other human being. Wouldn't you agree? Think about it. Everything you've achieved, every accomplishment, every moment that you're proud of, everything you look back on, and you say, those were the days, that was, a, that was a good time. Isn't there at least one other person in your mental picture? Um, it might be someone you love. It might be a spouse. It might be a, a family member. Maybe it was a fantastic teacher who inspired you and brought you to one of your happiest and proudest moments. Maybe it was a business partner, a mentor. Just think about it. I mean, yes, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to achieve the heights of joy and to achieve the building the bridge over what I call the abyss of mortality, the ultimate gloominess of death that can so easily permeate each and every one of our lives. How do we escape it? How do we drive it away and fill ourselves with the passion and enthusiasm for life and the present and the glorious gift of being able to live at the moment? I think we do it by connecting with other people. I think that really does lie at the root of it. I'm going to uh, go back uh, in the years just a little bit, and um, I'm going to go back to 1825. Now, if you're a regular listener to this show, then you already know something that happened in 1825. And if you aren't, go back and listen to one of the earlier shows. You won't have any trouble finding which one it is. Because in 1825, the Erie Canal was completed. They built it in only about seven or eight years, over 300 miles through some of the toughest terrain in North America. What an incredible achievement. Uh, I, won't, I, I won't go back. I, I spoke about it at length. But um, in 1825, the Erie Canal finished. And one of the things that happened is that over the next few years, the population of, um, of New York City quadrupled. The economic power of New York City multiplied by about 10. It was the most amazing transition for people who were living in New York City you know, in 1810, in 1815, and then in 1825, and then by 1830, 
What they saw happen between 1825 and 1830 was absolutely unprecedented. The city expanded and exploded. Economic creativity exploded. Uh, money was being made. Wealth was being created. Buildings were being built. Inventions were being invented. It was a very exciting time to be in New York. What brought that all about? Well, it was the completion of the Erie Canal in 1925. But something else happened in 1925. There was a man called Samuel Morse, a deeply religious Christian. And I point that out because today popular culture does everything it can to try and mislead you and propagandize you into believing that, number one, science and religion are in conflict with one another, a lie, and to try and mislead you into believing that progress is hindered and handicapped by Bible-believing Christians. Nothing could be further from the truth. A man called Samuel Morse was a very highly regarded painter. Uh, he was a creative man. He, he, he loved connecting with people. And because of his achieve, because of his work at the time, uh, the New York Academy of Design was was in was created, was opened, and and functioned. Um, that was just among the many things he did. He was viewed as an extremely competent and successful American painter of the early 19th century. And um, by the way, as recently as I think it was about 1982, if I'm not mistaken. A painting by Samuel Morse sold for over $3 million. And so uh, he, was, uh, he was a respectable painter, no question about it. And uh, he grew up in New England. He went to, uh, to Yale. And his father was a highly respected uh, Christian leader, a pastor. And, uh, and, and, um, and, and Samuel Morse picked up from his father. He... Uh, he, um, he, he studied the Bible regularly, he knew the Bible, he worshipped, and, um, and he did everything in his power to encourage others, to help others, and uh, to help maintain the moral standard of what was then the United States of America. But in 1925, a New York City, no less, commissioned Morse to paint a portrait of Lafayette in Washington, D.C., and you know who Lafayette was, right? French general who was a very key person in the United States of America, and the country felt appropriately grateful uh, to General Lafayette, and, uh, and they wanted a painting of him in Washington, D.C. And so Morse is busy painting uh, General Lafayette when a messenger dismounted from his horse and handed him a letter from his father that read, and I'm, I'm quoting now exactly from the letter, your dear wife is convalescent. Th that meant she was ill. The very next day, still while busy working on his painting, another horseman dismounted, carrying a letter from his father uh, and mentioning his wife's sudden death. Morse, uh, Samuel Morse immediately left Washington and uh, got on a horse to go back to New Haven, Connecticut. And, um, and this was, by the way, again, 1825 this happened. And uh, he left the portrait of Lafayette unfinished. Uh, by the time he arrived, of course, his wife had already been buried. Right? They buried quickly in those days. 
um, and not for reasons that you might suppose. Oh, they could, you know, they didn't have refrigeration, etc., etc. No, um, they they buried quickly for religious reasons, right? To to return uh, the the body that had been loaned to the soul to return it to God. Um, he was so heartbroken that he, he had been unaware of his wife's failing health because it took so long. Think about it. From uh, New Haven to Washington, D.C., it was days of travel. And uh, that was partially what inspired him to start exploring a some means of long-distance rapid communication. Because remember, up until that time, the fastest way of getting a message anywhere was a man on a horse. Think about it. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, if you wanted to convey a message beyond line of sight, you know, line of sight, you could uh, flash with a mirror or light a fire and send smoke signals, but that was contingent on good weather and visibility. But if you wanted to go beyond line of sight, the only way to send a message was a man on a horse. Well, I will continue my message to you in just a few minutes. But uh, first of all, I remind you again, a little spot of advertising. Uh, you help me and you help you by finding something of value in my store. Right? It's a good thing. Uh, and so I do everything I can to let you know of the goods I carry, of the resources I carry. I carry DVDs if you prefer watching uh, TV shows on DVD. Uh, I carry audio programs, things you can download immediately. I carry important books, and basically the, the, all the material, all the resources that uh, are available and are on sale in our store um, are all resources that are designed to help you enhance your life in the area of what I think of as the four Fs, family, finances, friendships, and faith. And that's what these things, all, everything I, I bring to you is designed to make this material accessible, things that will very practically enhance and improve your life. Okay, um, the website is rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, this week I am encouraging you to take a look at an alphabet book which is nominally for children, and children will love it, but surprisingly so will you. It's called the Alphabet Book, and uh, you will see it at rabbidaniellappin.com. Head over to the store, and also make sure you're subscribed to receive our weekly emailings. Back with you in just a moment, your rabbi, that's me, solemnly dedicated to reminding you of how the world really works. Rabbi Daniel Lappin, back in just a moment. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. We now return with Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, here we are back together again. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. 
where I, your rabbi, am solemnly dedicated to revealing how the world really works. And the way the world really works, whether it has to do with money, whether it has to do with friendships, whether it has to do with finance, uh, with and I said with money, with finance, with friendships, uh, family, and even, yes, even faith with God, the key word is connection. And uh, there, there is a book, you know, if, if, if you enjoy fiction, and uh, you are seeking a worthwhile fictional book to read, I'll recommend this one. It's, look, it's not a must-read. Some of you are not readers. Uh, some of you, uh, I'm not a very big fiction reader, but um, Susan is, my wife is, so we, we have a chance to talk about books. So through her, I get an insight into fiction. But there are certain fictional classics that I have read. One of them that I would recommend to you, again, only if you are already a reader of fiction and only if you are somebody who, who is on the lookout for worthwhile books of fiction. Um, in, in that, I include, for instance, some of the Ayn Rand fiction, uh, the Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged, for instance, where a, a very powerful polemic is wrapped up within skillful literary structure and, uh, and it becomes a very readable thing and a very uh, a, a good way of absorbing certain important principles. And so for, for those of you who may be interested, uh, the book I'm thinking of was written in 1910. It's called Howard's End. Howard's, as in the name of the man Howard, right? Howard's End. Um, and uh, it's written by uh, a novelist called E.M. Forster. E like in Echo, M like in Mike, and then the word Forster, F-O-R-S-T-E-R. Um, it's, uh, it's a wonderful book, and it's, uh, it has an epigraph. And the epigraph are the words only connect. And it's in Chapter 22 of the book, that the concept is, is sort of fleshed out as to what E.M. Forster is getting, uh, getting to here with this idea of only connect. Uh, let me read to you, and I, I don't usually like doing this because I know it's, it sort of is a bit of a turn-off when you hear somebody reading instead of just talking. But uh, let me read from the beginning of Chapter 22 in... Uh, Ian Forster's novel, Howard's End. Um, the protagonist is, is Margaret, and uh, there are other important people as well. But Margaret greeted her lord with peculiar tenderness on the morrow. Mature as he was, she might yet be able to help him to the building of the rainbow bridge that should connect the prose in us with the passion. Without it, we are meaningless fragments half monks, half beasts, unconnected archers that have never joined into a man. With it, love is born, and alights on the highest curve, glowing against the gray, sober against the fire. Happy the man who sees from either aspect the glory of these outspread wings. The roads of his soul lie clear, and he and his friends shall find easy going. And, and here she's talking about, he's talking about 
the rainbow bridge, by the way, which is uh, it's a wonderful metaphor, and it's one we looked at a few weeks ago when I spoke about Richard Wagner and the entry of the gods into Valhalla. But uh, the rainbow bridge that should connect the prose in us with the passion, in other words, the thoughtful, intellectual part of us together with the passion, human, feeling, powerful part of us. And, uh, and then she says, without it, without that rainbow bridge that connects the inner two parts of us, we are meaningless fragments. And then she says, we're half monks and half beasts. A phrase that I use, and you've heard me use it if you're a regular listener to the show, is half angels and half apes. And she says beasts and monks, but you get the idea. Uh, there's a part of us that is the angel, there is part of us that is the ape, and uh, we have to recognize both parts. But what she's talking about is how important it is to connect the two parts. Right? We have to, we have to love with passion, but we also have to be able to relate with the intellect. Uh, let me jump a paragraph ahead, and, uh, and, and let me read you just another few lines which give us the actual epilogue with which he concludes the book, Only Connect. It did not seem so difficult. She need trouble him with no gift of her own. She would only point out that the salvation that was latent in his own soul and in the soul of every man, only connect. That was the whole of her sermon. Only connect the prose and the passion, and both will be exalted, and human love will be seen at its height. Live in fragments no longer. Only connect, and the beast and the monk, robbed of the isolation that is life to either, will die. Only connect. I, I have to tell you, interestingly enough, that in the midst of the recording of this show, I was deeply in the show when... Um, uh, in between segments, I had to take a phone call, and the phone call was from an individual who's been a close friend for many years and uh, to whom I feel all the obligations of friendship. And uh, he called me with a very interesting question, and that is that uh, his daughter is about to become engaged to an, a gentleman, and he said, I've started having a worry that the passion isn't there in that man. Um, I, I worry that he loves her intellectually. I, I, I worry that he loves my daughter by seeing all the goodness and the beauty in her. But I also want to make sure that he loves her with, with an irresistible passion. And I thought to myself, how amazing that that's exactly what I'm talking about. The necessity of both those aspects. And here in the very topic that we're discussing. Because this thrill of connection, so important to every act of creativity, starting with the most fundamental and powerful act of creativity of which any human being is capable, namely conceiving a child, the ultimate of creativity and the ultimate in connection, uh, carried through to, to every single part of, of human creativity. Please don't for one moment believe the nonsensical theme that occurs that again and again in, in foolish writing of the lonely artist isolated in his workplace, an attic somewhere, 
creating this marvelous divine work of art. It doesn't happen. Great art is created by artists who are connected with other human beings, connected in every possible way, not artists isolated and lonely. Never, never works that way. Well, uh, one great artist who was most certainly connected to other people was Samuel Morse, right? an artist of the early 1800s. But uh, he fails to hear that his wife has been ill and even he fails to hear that he's died, she's died because the fastest way to convey information was a man on a horse, and that takes a lot of days to get, in, the, in his case, from New Haven, Connecticut, uh, where his wife was and his father was, father was a pastor, all the way to uh, uh, Washington, D.C., where, um, where Samuel Morse was working on a very famous painting of Lafayette um, in, in Washington. At any rate, uh, the, um, he, he becomes filled with passion for finding a better way to connect. Um, he, he deeply loved his wife, and, uh, and the, the thought that he wasn't able to be with her during her illness, wasn't with her when she died, ate away at him. And uh, he uh, is figuring out what to do about this, and, uh, and he's, finding, he's thinking about ways of making it possible to communicate more rapidly than uh, was possible up to that point, which was very slow indeed. Now, there were ways of communicating over short distances. For instance, uh, you know what pneumatic delivery is, right? Uh, you sometimes have that in a bank, where if you're in a drive-in lane in a bank, you put your deposit into a plastic capsule and you insert it into uh, a tube, and then when you close the lid of the tube... <laughs> You know, you get this uh, suction going on, and the capsule gets sucked 30 or 40 feet over to where the, the teller is able to uh, uh, obtain that. But it is over very limited distance. And New York at that point did have various pneumatic systems, but uh, very limited. He, Samuel Morse, wanted something bigger. Meanwhile, Samuel Morse gets involved um, with another guy um, who... Started a newspaper. He's, he was a businessman. His name was Arthur Tappan, and I I think and I, I guess I should have checked this before. And I'm just talking off the cuff here. That the the Tappan Zee Bridge over the Hudson River, north of New York City, uh, might be connected with him. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And no, for these for the sake of accuracy, uh, I did actually check, and uh, I'm wrong. It was not named after uh, Arthur Tappan. The Tappan Zee Bridge was named after an area where there was an Indian tribe, apparently called the Tappans, and then a lot of Dutch people settled in New York in the 1600s and uh, 1700s, and uh, there was a, the, the, the Dutch word for sea is zee. So Tappan Zee is that area of the Hudson where the, 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 the river widened out and they built a bridge there. Anyway, all of that in passing because... Uh, uh, Arthur Tappan was a businessman um, who uh, started a paper together with, uh, with Samuel Morse. They started a paper called the Journal of Commerce, and it had two functions. One of it was to be a business paper. The other was to help promote morality and purity in the New York area. So, for instance, uh, the newspaper, whenever 
in, in a particular instance, but, but, but frequently, whenever they felt that a female actress revealed too much skin on the stage of the New York theater, uh, in those days it was the Bowery Theater down at the bottom of New York, uh, they would write about it and try and, 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 and say, people, this, this isn't appropriate, it's not, it's not right, it stimulates, it's, it's appealing to, shall we say, the ape in human beings rather than the angels in human beings. And that's, and that's really a very good way of, of defining art in general. You can ask yourself, uh, does this appeal to the ape or the angel in us? And if it appeals to the ape in us, it shouldn't be there, and it certainly should not be funded by the National Endowment for the Arts or any other way that the government has of extracting tax money from me in order to underwrite what other people consider to be artistic, what I would usually consider to be unadulterated rubbish. So uh, that being the case, the, the Journal of Commerce um, had as its main function the shipping section, and what was the shipping section? Well, until well into the 20th century, I'm going to say even past halfway through the 20th century, past 1950, uh, the, even the New York Times carried a page on the shipping news. What was that? Well, uh, it said what ships were coming in. And uh, today, today, New York is no longer a major cargo shipping center. Uh, I think the biggest shipping line in New York City today is the Circle Line, which carries tourists around Manhattan. And it's a nice trip, by the way. But uh, back then, New York was a cargo center of, of the world. Why? Well, it was back to the Erie Canal that had been finished in 1825. And um, what that made it possible to do was, first of all, material was shipped all of a sudden People in the Midwest, people in the Buffalo area and the Chicago area and Ohio, all of those areas on the other side of the Appalachian Mountains had no way to get their goods to market. And all of a sudden, the Erie Canal opens up and this becomes possible. And it's, it's rather remarkable because uh, up till that point, to convey goods from Buffalo to New York, uh, it, it meant – Wagons over rutted mountain roads, up hills, down into valleys, cross rivers. Um, it cost a hundred dollars, and think what a hundred dollars meant in those days to move one ton of whether it was furs or hides or timber or coal or uh, or or meat or in, well, meat, I guess. Well, salted meat they they did used to move. A hundred dollars it cost to move goods from New York excuse me, from the, from the Buffalo area to New York, basically was non-doable. At that rate, you, you couldn't sell it at a profit. It was useless. The Erie Canal comes along and moves goods from Buffalo to New York at a tenth the price. A ton could be moved for less than $10. And now, all of a sudden, not only does um, towns like Syracuse and Palmyra and, and uh, Rochester and Buffalo and all the other places um, that even, it, was, it even impacted uh, uh, Cleveland and Chicago, all of a sudden people were able to ship their goods to the market, and the market was New York. And uh, it also meant, by the way, that manufactured goods from New England could find their way back. And so all of a sudden people in those areas on the other side of the Appalachians stopped making their own furniture. 
and furniture could be shipped to them because it was cheaper to buy furniture mass-produced in a, in a workshop in New Hampshire than it was to try and build it yourself in Ohio. And this was the beginning of the consumer economy, and uh, New York suddenly, as I mentioned earlier, exploded in economic significance. Up till then, by the way, Baltimore had been the most important port in the country. Philadelphia was a massively important port, and they even, around about this time, also built a canal connecting the Chesapeake Bay to the Delaware Bay because the journey from Baltimore to Philadelphia took several days to go all the way around. And now they built a canal in order to shorten the distance between Baltimore and Philadelphia. All Those used to be the economic centers of the country. Erie Canal is built, and New York takes over, is the, the center of importance. And now international trade comes to New York, and ships arrive from all over the world bearing goods and everything, spices, fabrics, uh, manufactured products, uh, watches, everything you could imagine coming from outside the United States to New York because a merchant who bought these goods in New York could now ship them up into the uh, up through the Erie Canal into the Ohio Valley, and that was able to uh, uh, to, to open up this enormous market. So what becomes incredibly important at that point is to know what's coming on ships. Imagine you are a merchant and you've got, shall we say, you know, a, a, a hundred bags of rice or a hundred bolts of fabric, and there's a ship on its way to New York. It's going to dock in two days' time, and it's carrying a load of rice or, or a load of fabric, whatever it is. If you have that product in stock, you want to get rid of it very quickly because the availability of a whole lot of new inventory uh, will drop the price. So you need to get rid of it very soon. That is the value of advanced information. You needed to know this. How do you find it out? Well, this is what I will explain coming back on today's show, which is devoted to the phrase only connect. Just connect. Focus on how important it is to connect. Increase your connections. Uh, you can also increase yours by learning a little bit more about the techniques of connection and communication. Go to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, right over there you will um, – well, let me, let me advertise. In the words of, of uh, Winston Churchill, whom you know I, uh, uh, I learn a lot from, uh, Winston Churchill said the following – Advertising nourishes the consuming power of men. It sets up before a man the goal of a better home, better clothing, better food for himself and his family. It spurs individual exertion and greater production. That's uh, William Churchill, uh, excuse me, Winston Churchill, speaking of the power and value of advertising. And, and I believe advertising to be an extremely valuable activity, a very important activity. So I'm advertising my website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and I'm advertising my products, uh, particularly products that can help you increase your earning power, particularly products that are valuable in terms of communication. And the one I'm talking about now is a book called The Alphabet, which you could read about more at rabbidaniellappin.com, the store. Head over there. I'd appreciate it, and I think you will too. Be back with you in just one moment.
Spilling ancient solutions for modern problems in the areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Welcome back to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Thank you, as always, for being part of the show. I very much appreciate you listening. I very much appreciate you commenting on it, uh, and uh, feel free to comment on it on my website at rabbidaniellappin.com, and um, also very much appreciate you spreading the word about this show uh, to those people who you feel might find value in it. Uh, For those who would enjoy the podcast, please tell people about it and make it easy for them. Uh, Send them a, a link to connect to you know, either the uh, iTunes um, source or the SoundCloud source of the show, but uh, whatever, to whatever extent you are able to let anyone know about it who uh, you feel would enjoy it, I'd appreciate that. And and you know what? If they do end up enjoying it, they'll thank you too. Uh, so uh, the theme of the show, only connect, be aware of connection and talking about Samuel Morse. Samuel Morse, a a painter, a thinker, a man who was stimulated to try and find a way for more rapid communication between human beings, a way to help us connect over more than line of eyesight distances. Now, uh, by the way, uh, Samuel Morse, not a perfect human being, you know, not like you and me, we're perfect human beings, but uh, but he, like most other people, was an imperfect human being. Um, he, for instance, was uh, not opposed to slavery. Right? He was also very down on immigration. No, not Muslim immigration. Uh, that he wouldn't have even considered for one moment. He was actually negative about Catholic immigration. He had spent time uh, in Europe, mostly in studying art and in furthering his art career, and he uh, attributed uh, to some extent what he considered to be the lack of progress in parts of Europe to Catholicism, and he brought that um, that that uh, prejudice back with him. So, yeah, not a perfect person, but in an earlier show recently, I explained how important it is to stop this pathetic, thoughtless, infantile habit of writing off ideas, writing off the creation of people because you don't like some aspect of that. And you think about it, that's a sure way of making sure you cannot connect with people because it's possible to find something wrong with every single human being. And if that is going to disqualify every other aspect of the human being, then forget about it. You may as well go off and live in an isolated cave as a hermit somewhere. You know, that is really pathetic. 
and it's a habit that's very common in the culture today. Oh, you can't listen to him. He's this, he's that. Hey, Samuel Morse wasn't persuaded that slavery was an evil thing, okay? He wasn't, right? I'm sorry about that. It's an imperfection. It would have been nice if he, he saw the evils of slavery, but he didn't. And uh, does that mean that nothing about him has any value? Of course not. How stupid can anyone be? Of course not. And so uh, uh, Samuel Morse, uh, by the way, talking of slavery, uh, interestingly enough, the Ohio Valley was becoming, um, in the early 1800s, was tending towards being pro-slavery. Why? Because the only uh, port, the only way for shipping to get to the interior of the country, don't forget, until the Erie Canal was built, um, the majority of the population of the United States lived between the Atlantic and the Appalachian Mountains. But there were people in the central, in, in the uh, Ohio Valley and in the Mississippi Valley, but their access to the sea was through New Orleans, and that was uh, the South. That was pro-slavery. And so pro-slavery sentiments were spreading north up through the Mississippi and eventually up through the Ohio, and uh, it was only the Erie Canal, which became this nonstop arterial flow of people and commerce, and even tourists, by the way. For the first time, people would sleep while traveling. It was a big sensation. Uh, even people like Samuel Clemens, otherwise known by his pen name Mark Twain, uh, the author of so many of the favorite books of America, uh, Mark Twain traveled the Erie Canal on a sleeping boat. Um, and, and it made it possible for people who had never dreamed of undergoing the arduous journey from New York to Buffalo by horse or wagon, uh, they would do it on a, on a boat along the Erie Canal. But the, it carried not only goods, not only tourists, it carried ideas. And it's strictly because of the Erie Canal that uh, those states did not become slavery states because the ideas of New England, the abolitionist ideas, were carried along the Erie Canal just as surely as tons and tons and tons of coal and cargo and produced goods and iron and everything else flowed along that uh, wonderful structure, the Erie Canal. But at any rate, um, Samuel Morse joins up with Arthur Tappan, and they, they make a magazine, a paper called the, Day, the, the Journal of Commerce. And at that point, you're looking at about a dozen daily newspapers in New York, and one of the most important functions they all served was the shipping news, because uh, people wanted to know what was arriving. It, it impacted business. If a ship just arrived, you know, carrying... Uh, a huge cargo of a particular commodity, then you knew this was probably a good time to buy that commodity because it wouldn't be scarce and you wouldn't be paying elevated prices. It was wonderful. And so they all carried shipping news. They all published several editions every day, by the way, too. At any rate, nine of these papers got together and they uh, bought a, a bunch of rowboats and uh, they hired a, a, a bunch of boys to row the boats out and to meet the ships as they were coming into New York Harbor. You know, somewhere near where the Verrazano Bridge is now located. And they would come alongside and yell up to the sailors, you know, what are you carrying? What's the cargo? And then they'd quickly row back and carry the news to their, each to their newspapers. And the newspapers would then be able to publish several hours early of what the cargoes were. And even those several hours carried an enormous competitive advantage. Because, you know, big ships would come in. 
Uh, they're maneuvering maybe under sail. They've got to take a pilot aboard. The whole process of, of docking took hours and hours. Meanwhile, these fast little rowboats, or relatively fast little rowboats, uh, brought information. Might have been six, seven, eight hours ahead of where everyone else would find out. So people, there was value in people buying the newspapers because they carried all this um, early information. Um, the New Paper Journal of Commerce, started by Samuel Morse and Arthur Tappan, uh, was invited to join this alliance of newspapers that funded the rowing boats with the newsboys to, ca to bring in the information. However, um, they refused. You know why? Because all the other papers and these rowing boats used to work on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. And Samuel Morse would have none of that, wouldn't have it. So he and Arthur Tappan came up with a better idea. They weren't going to work on Sunday, but they went and they came to what was one of the most thriving boatyards in the country. It was a, a boatyard called Dorgan and Bailey in Baltimore, in, right where the inner harbor of Baltimore is now, where the Under Armour office is, uh, where the steel um, concern used to be located. There was uh, Dorgan and Bailey. And they built two boats. They built a 50-ton uh, fast schooner and a 90-ton even faster schooner at Dorgan and Bailey. They brought it to New brought both boats to New York. One was called the Journal of Commerce. I think the other was called the Evening Standard. I think they gave them news-type names. The whole function of these boats was to sail out and go further. They could go much faster than rowboats and much further. They would meet shipping heading to New York maybe a day or two days out, and they would uh, find out what was on the cargo, what was being carried. And remember, right, I mean, you, you realize there is no other way of getting this information. didn't exist. We're years away from the telephone. We're years away from radio, and there wasn't even telegraph. And so uh, uh, the Journal of Commerce prospered, and uh, was able to provide the earliest information of what shipping uh, cargoes were being carried. And again, very vital, very valuable, because it would enable merchants to get ahead. Um, and it's always like that, by the way. They, merchants used to send uh, couriers on horseback to farmers in, in Cleveland, in Chicago, in Buffalo, to find out, to get an advanced sense of what the harvest was looking like. And they would talk to a lot of farmers. They'd talk to merchants there, and they'd come back to New York with news on, well, it looks like people feel this harvest is going to be a little short, so that means prices will be up. Merchants needed to know this. And the earlier you can get in, again, today everybody knows that data is money. But back then it was just being put into practice. And uh, Samuel Morse uh, then succeeded the journal commerce did well and samuel morse then um, in addition to his painting and in addition to the newspaper began experiments on communication through wire and uh, it just so happens that he on a ship coming back from europe he met the guy who had done a lot of experiments with a battery and so he realized he had a source of electrons <laughs> right he had a source of electrical current um, he uh, went ahead and got some wire manufactured. It was very primitive in those days. They didn't even know how to properly insulate the wire. 
and he actually got Congress to assign him uh, a small amount of money to lay uh, a length of wire, copper wire, along the rail bed, along the railway right-of-way of the Baltimore-Ohio Railroad. And um, he ran this wire from Washington, D.C. to Montclair Station in Baltimore, which is, by the way, the location today of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad Museum, which if you're interested in trains as I am, uh, you'll love that museum if you ever happen to be in Baltimore. And uh, that's uh, what happened on the eight on the 24th of May, 1844, um, from the basement of the Capitol, Samuel Morse sent a message, uh, the uh, 35, 40 miles to Baltimore, and the message was from the 23rd chapter of the Book of Numbers. The message was the verse that reads, What hath God wrought? Sent it in English. In Hebrew, you'd read it, uh, Ma Pa'al Hashem. Uh, what did God achieve? What did God accomplish? How amazing are God's works? And if you think about the fact that um, that back when printing was established in 1450, the very first book published um, was not a telephone directory, it was the Bible. Because you've got to understand that in those days when secularism had not yet steamrolled its way through society, uh, normal people were religious. And if you were a religious person, you were more likely to be educated, you were more likely to be thoughtful, you were more likely to be scientific, you were more likely to be forward-looking, you were more likely to be accomplished and, and successful. Um, hey, Bible-believing religion was where it was at, folks, and uh, I believe it's still there. I really do. Uh, but at the same time, I do understand that many of you have been influenced by the relentless assault of secular propaganda trying to persuade us that uh, biblical belief makes you a primitive person. On the contrary, nothing could be further from the truth. And uh, Samuel Morse obviously took a, a verse from the Bible in order to transmit the very first message. I regard this as the invention of the Internet because the Internet is only a qualitative improvement on the telegraph. That first telegraph on the 24th of May, 1844. That was the first time in human history that a message was carried electronically down a wire. It was the first time that a message was carried faster than a man could ride on a horse. And the Internet was an improvement on this. This is in much the same way as um, many historians regard the Second World War as just to be a continuation of the First. Why? Well, without the First World, there never would have been a Second. The First World War made the Second War inevitable. At the Treaty of Versailles in 1918, a very good French general, this was when there were still French generals who knew what they were doing, uh, in 1918, at the signing of the armistice, uh, General Marshal Falk made the following f his, uh, declaration. He said, this is not a peace signing. This is nothing more than a temporary ceasefire for 20 years. In other words, he saw that the war would resume, and he said it would be in 20 years' time. Well, he was pretty darn close, wasn't he? Because he said this in November 1918, and 20 years later is November 1938, and war breaks out in September 1938, uh, excuse me, 1939. So less than a year later, 
is what happened. So it makes perfect sense to see World War II as just a continuation of World War I. Uh, from a historical point of view, uh, people who, who know and understand that period in the 20th century uh, can really speak about the Great War, right, the World War of the 20th century. It was one long world war separated by a 20-year, um, nearly a 20-year ceasefire. And so, uh, similarly, when I speak about the invention of the Internet, no, it was not Al Gore. But when was the invention of the Internet? 2000? 2002? 1999? No. The Internet was invented on the 24th of May, 1844, when Samuel Morse sent a message from the U.S. Congress in Washington, D.C., uh, when the U from the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., all the way to Montclair Railway Station in Baltimore, down a piece of wire. And uh, do you know something? In four years, there were 12,000 miles of wire in the United States. Can you imagine how rapidly this, this spread? And it unleashed an absolute tornado of economic creativity. Um, it was 10 years later, I think, that the uh, transatlantic cable between England and the United States was laid. All of a sudden, communication was the, was the thing, and it spread like wildfire. It made uh, railways function better because for the first time, you could actually send messages down the railway track of what was happening. Up till then, it was very problematic because you didn't know if there was a train delay, could an engineer let another train go by. All of a sudden, the telegraph became the mode of communication, and Morse code for many, many years was the key to making all of that happen. Uh, only connect. That's the theme. That's what I wanted to talk about in this particular show. And I wanted to urge you to, uh, to be aware of this. You know, uh, I know this sounds a little bit weird, but I'd strongly recommend that you even make a list of, of how many people you consider as friends. How many friends do you really have? And um, the good news and the bad news is that there's not as many as you think. It won't take you that long to make a list. But once you've made a list and you're quantifying it, uh, you can then start being motivated to increase it. I mean, how many of us deliberately seek out new friends? I, I, I strongly recommend it. This is a principle of ancient Jewish wisdom and is a principle that has been borne out again and again and again. If you read Howard's End by E.M. Forster, you will be encouraged to only connect. Please connect. Uh, if you think about the, uh, the wonder of Samuel Morse and, and the change he brought to the world, you'll be encouraged to only connect. And if you want to learn how to become more effective as a communicator and as a connector, then you will want to go to my website and go to the store and you'll want to take a look at uh, a product there called the Income Abundance Set. Because although I'm speaking primarily about increasing your earning power and your revenue, uh, so much of everything in life, particularly finance, depends on your ability to communicate with other people. It's all very well to say only connect, and I do. But how do you communicate in order to, to connect? And I speak about that as well. So please go to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Visit the store. Make sure you've signed on for Thought Tools. Make sure you get our free weekly emailing. All of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. 
And uh, if you find um, resources of value in the store, well, go ahead because you'll make us both happy and uh, it'll bring value and benefit into your life. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is unfortunately as far as we can go in this particular edition of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And so until next week, I am Rabbi Daniel Lappin wishing you a week of good health and prosperity. God bless. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. On Demand.